I'm Lauren Steiner, and welcome to a new episode of the Great Grant Seeking Podcast. In my over 20 years of experience at institutional fundraising, I have seen effective grant seeking and how it can support nonprofit organizations and elevate their abilities to achieve their missions. On this podcast, I explore timely topics in grant seeking and talk to experts on how to level up your grant seeking. And my particular interest in this podcast is not just to talk about great grant seeking in a vacuum, but to talk about how to do it well in today's world. And that means focused on elevating the voices of those served and using grant seeking as a vehicle for uh, seeking movement towards equity in our sector. And with that in mind, I am super interested to talk to today's guest, who is Dave Moss from the Unfunded List. Dave, welcome to the Great Grant Seeking Podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. So now you've taken a unique approach to helping people improve their grant seeking. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the Unfunded List? Sure. Uh, So uh, before Unfunded List, I worked in a variety of roles, in a variety of nonprofits. And all of those roles had something to do with grants. My very first one, I didn't write any of the grants, but I was like the person who actually submitted them. So the grant writer would be like, I'm finished writing it. Right. And then I would right, have to make sure that right, we dotted every T and everything. Back then I was mailing copies to found right. I remember those days. Hey, that person would probably would be would actually have more work to do because you have to do the online applications. They're not necessarily easier than sending a package. Um, and I've you know, I was the, I've also been on boards and on in charge of things and uh, had some opportunities to be on the other side of the aisle as well as a funder. Great. Uh, and I mean, there were several uh, formative experiences that sort of showed me that uh, one, it's very difficult to get feedback on your grant proposals. Uh, two, it's very helpful when you can get feedback. Yeah. Your grant proposals. Uh, and three, that like right now, as it is with the normal forces at play, probably most people won't be getting feedback. Right. Uh, grant proposals. Even when foundations would, or funders like try, the power dynamics and the time involved and everything just make that like, it's not, not that great. Right. Um, I had a lot of opportunities when I, when I was writing grant proposals. One of my strengths as a grant seeker is, that, is networking. So I would, and, and try to get folks involved in what I was doing. I would, right, if they had any experience with grants, I would ask them to write to read my drafts before I sent them in. And usually before I submitted any draft, I would try to get like 10 different people to read them and I would collate all those thoughts. And that became part of my like process. I became a much better grant writer from that process. That's awesome. And I recognize that like not everyone can do that. (laughs) It it is difficult. Um, Even for me, it was back then it was tough to get 10 people to read my grant proposal and then actually follow up. Lots of times they would read it and say, oh, this is great. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what you, you obviously, like every grant proposal can be criticized. I know that now. I've reviewed many. It's impossible. Like, uh, I'm going to play golf later today. And perfection, one of the reasons I like golf is because perfection is unattainable. Say that. <laughs> it's the same thing with grants. You're not going to write a like, perfect proposal. And so there's always like some feedback and perspective that could be useful, even on winning grants. I would sometimes do this after I won a grant. 
right? Just to make sure my next submissions weren't stale. Years later, I learned about a program in Hollywood called The Blacklist. It's for screenplays that don't get made into movies. And I was like, oh, cool. I sh-. And I would honestly, I'll be honest here. It was like a joke at first. I was like, I should start a nonprofit. We'll call it the unfunded list. Um, and, uh, and I did it once. I got, it, it became a little bit more serious for me. I was like, oh, we'll do this once. And I made a website and I asked people to submit proposals to us. And I got those folks that had been reading for me uh, all those years. I was like, let's read for some other folks. I recruited some other people. I had like 30 evaluators the first time. And about 30 people sent me proposals. Uh, and it was super helpful. We found some grants for some of them. Uh, we were helpful to all of them. Uh, even like, I remember one of those conversations, one of the groups, he, after we reviewed his proposal, and I spoke to him, he quit. Like he stopped doing. Wow. And I considered that actually like a pretty big success because he was not going to succeed. It was fundamentally flawed. Uh-huh. And he had been doing it for years with no one telling him that. Oh, interesting. And I believe it because of what you said about the power dynamic and the feedback loop, you know, being so flawed. He went in another direction and is doing excellent now. And he might very well just be bang, still banging his head against the wall back there. Yeah. But, and, but everybody who gave us a proposal that round got a full feedback report from us. And a bunch of them asked if they could do it again. They were like, can we send you a nut? Like, can we fix this draft and send another one? So I made it. Then I filed my paperwork and founded a nonprofit. And uh, how long ago was that? 2000. So the first round we did was 2015. Okay. And, and I finished that up like near the end of the year as we, we announced the first unfunded list on December, on Giving Tuesday in December in, in, of 2015. Okay. And then it was like, and then in 2016, I decided to make it a real organization. Got it. Which we've been, I think we got our 501c3 in 2017. So in my mind, I've been doing this for eight and a half years. Okay. And tell us about it today. What does the unfunded list do today? Well, we still review proposals. We reviewed 51 this spring. Uh, and um, they came from, there was a really like diverse group. They came from all over the world. I think we've got like 25 countries in there, uh, including uh, extremely Southern organizations, right? Uh, so uh, grantee. Uh, countries. So we got pr- proposals from Liberia, uh, Rwanda, Somalia, um, uh, and, and others, lots of stuff throughout Africa and Latin America, and also a bunch of uh, American and Canadian nonprofits doing all kinds of work. Uh, we had about 200 evaluators participate this round. I've recruited a lot more than just the dozen or so that, that started. Uh, one of the big surprises has been people's willingness to review proposals. They get very excited about it. Uh, and that's a really big part of our learning community here. Uh, it's not just getting your proposal reviewed, uh, but putting yourself in the shoes of the reviewer can be helpful for your own writing while you give back to other folks. That's what makes our, that's what makes our program go. So we, I delivered all 51 reports in June, and currently we're going through what we call the report discussion phase. I have 28 report discussions scheduled, and I believe, and my partner Margaret, our board chair, she's doing 20 of them. <laughs> so you do a scheduled meeting with each proposal submitter, is that right? Yeah, to review it, the report with them. Yeah, we call it the report discussion. And they go very differently depending on like how the organization, who I'm talking So I might be talking to the founder 
of the organization. This might be the first time they have a rotogram proposal. Or I could be talking to a very experienced professional grant writer. I mean, I talk to writers who have more experience than I do. Right. Time. And I'm able to do, I can talk to anyone and be an expert because I'm armed with these feedback. I've had 12 people read it up before I ever talked to them. So 12 people read each proposal? Is that what you're telling me? It depends on, so the, in, it, so my readers are volunteers and it's response rate is what it is. One time I assigned 30 reviewers to a proposal and all 30 of them reviewed it. Wow. So we delivered a 250 page feedback report. That's very unusual. Uh, usually, so I think our, our, min, our, our goal is six and the lowest, everybody got at least six reviews this round, but that was only a couple groups. I think our average was 12. Okay. So there were a few folks in this round that got 20 different, they got 20 different reviewers. And is it a requirement that the proposal that's submitted to the unfunded list be one that has been declined somewhere? No. Okay. Uh, I think I did. It's possible that that first round in 2015, that I did have that requirement. Okay. But we learned pretty quickly because people, people with winning proposals started asking if they could get theirs reviewed. Like that, ha- that started happening very early on. Uh, and like, it's very helpful. No matter what, like every proposal should go through this process. Now I'm pretty thoroughly convinced of that. Um, there's really nothing to lose. Like I, you just give me your proposal. I'll review it. You can go do like, and you get a report later. Like there's not, like, <laughs> not much to lose. Um, but, um, uh, winning proposals, um, it's often, it often makes a lot of sense to do this because one, you're not going to be able to like, you, yes, you won that grant, but you're not going to apply to that grant again, right? The next thing you apply to will be a different program, right? There will be different reviewers, right? You'll want, and there might be different criteria. There might be all kinds of, and so having access to some different perspective, even on winning proposals, Right. In terms of dollars raised, that's probably where we have more impact, just because these people already know how to win grants. Right. A lot of the like first time and rejected stuff we read is like they they've never won a grant before, so that's very it's very right. Or that hill is is happens sometimes, but it's much later. I love that you found this um, interesting, such an interesting niche. And I love that you're calling it a learning community. You know, I myself have been a reviewer for you and it was super interesting and um, eye-opening, very good learning experience. Tell me, does, um, do the nonprofits pay for this service to you? And what is the fee for that? Yes. So there's a bunch of ways you can get a proposal to us. I think the majority of folks who've been reviewed haven't paid anything. Uh, But if you just right now, Anybody can go to the website, pay $100, and have that proposal reviewed. Um, we often partner with grant makers, and they will like we will find a way to share the opportunity to be reviewed with their community. Um, every grant maker is different, so all those partnerships go different ways, right? Sometimes the grant maker just sort of covers administrative costs for me, so I can review everybody in their pool. Other times, we find other ways to make the partnership work. Uh, we, we we call that co-review. We call them co-review partnerships. We piloted it with the MIT Solve program. So I used to give feedback. We gave feedback to everybody who applied to Solve for like three years, just hundreds, hundreds of all the world. That's awesome. And you know, 
I said one of the things that I was uh, super impressed with too, and I think really would make that $100 um, valuable is one of the things you asked reviewers, and if you're getting an average of 12, you're definitely getting some interesting feedback. But one of the things you asked reviewers was, you know, are there any funders that you think this fund, that this, um, grant proposal should be getting in front of. And I think that's really great kind of spreading the um, possibilities out there for the, 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 the grantees, the potential grantees. Yes. So we do ask that question. Every evaluator evaluates a proposal. We ask them like, do you know where they should apply? Say like we don't, I mean, it's not a, there's there, if you need to research prospects for yourself, there's better resources than a funded list. Right, there are resources designed for that. I don't have a like database of funders, right, or anything like that. But it's a vast network, and many of our evaluators are well connected, and will make know of programs, and will make suggestions, and sometimes offer personal connections. And sometimes I find that kind of a um, uh, approach to identifying funders can be the most helpful just because like you said, it's, it's the inside information that the professional reviewer may have, you know, in their own sort of back pocket. So I think that's an awesome benefit to, to the nonprofits. They're the same in fundraising. You may have heard it was, it's, if you want funding, ask for advice, ask if you want advice, ask for funding. Yeah. Right. I think that obviously that was somewhat, <laughs> it's very relevant to unfunded list here. I will say that people, some over the years, some of the folks who sent us proposals sent us proposals because they were, one, they were convinced that their proposal was flawless and their work is perfect and worthy of funding. They didn't really want any feedback. Okay. They were like, well, Dave's well connected. I know he goes to like Gatsby things and he'll just put my proposal in front of someone and get it funded very easily for me. If that, if that was their attitude coming in, then they probably didn't. Then they got what they got instead was a crit- a feedback report full of it had no funder suggestions and they get they're like upset with me. But I never promised funder suggestions. I promised feedback. And in my experience, the best social entrepreneurs and founders don't think that way. They right. they know that there's room for improvement and they're very eager to yeah. receive our reports. That's why I love what you call it is a learning community and that you're building. And I think that that's a good, you know, sort of definition for that. Yes. I really want to get into today's topic, which is um, mistakes that grant seekers make. And I, I think that you, Dave, are uniquely positioned to talk about this because I think you see more proposals potentially than most even program officers. So, Can you tell us some of the common mistakes that you are seeing grant seekers make in your review of these thousands of proposals over the years? I've read 1,400 since 2015. Maybe more. Through my program, I've read read that many. Occasionally, I volunteer for other folks' programs, and I actually haven't. I'm not including those in the math, so it's much higher. (laughs) Uh, And I do. I talk to a lot of program officers all the time, and I ask them how much they read. And I don't know anybody who's read more than that. Um, since then, if there's somebody out there has, please let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to <laughs> talk, talk shop, talk shop. <laughs> um, but even, com- even compared to program officers, like they might read more than me, but they would all be in the same format on the same topic and same issue and from the same region. Mine are from literally everywhere submitted to like name a funder. I've read something submitted to them, name an issue for our country. I've read a proposal from there covering that issue. Uh, and then, yeah, they certainly do make some. Yeah, but I I would start off by saying that that um, 
they aren't necessarily making any mistakes. Um, I once wrote an article to like drive website traffic and it's called five tips for grant makers. Uh, and your question kind of reminded me of when I was writing that. Uh, and the, my first tip there was consider not doing it. <laughs> Interesting. So one, it is, I should point out lots of nonprofits run without getting grants. Like many ways to run a nonprofit or a social enterprise or a business or anything without without spending a single second on running grants or getting grant dollars, right? Uh, but it's very intriguing, for, especially for new organizations, and it is a good fit for lots of folks. So, uh, in, and it's free money. It seems like free money. It feels like, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing for free. And it means that there's just a lot of competition for every one of these programs. This is the fundamental problem with philanthropy. And I think people who've never been in a grant maker's shoes may not fully understand this. But there's too many proposals. There's too many great organizations. And even if you did have unlimited resources, which no one does, it would be a bad idea to fund all of the programs because they would be duplicating each other's efforts, competing, contradicting each other. Right? right. So there needs to be some sort of choosing. Sometimes that choosing is done in very unfair, opaque ways. Other groups are more transparent and fair about it. My personal preference is organizations that hire professional philanthropists, like you mentioned, program officers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and who and those then it's their job, right? They're not giving away their own money. They can right. Criteria they can be evaluated. They can lose their job. If they're bad at it, right? Yep, it's sort of the most logical flow, right? That's my. I think those are the most effective forms. But sometimes you're, you might be applying to a family foundation where it's just the grandkids meet once a year. They may or may have, they may or may not have read all the proposals, right? And they will make decisions <laughs> based on, right, something, right? Uh, and in any of those programs, like I said, the fundamental problem is there's too many proposals. They're not going to fund them all. And I've been in those rooms and I've seen it happen where this there was nothing wrong with this, right? But we're choosing these other programs, and I've given that feedback to folks like. You were the reason you did not get funded this time is because we chose other programs. Right. Actually have anything to do with yours, which is hard to Yeah. We want to be told what could we have done better. Right. You could have probably had a stronger relationship with the people making decisions. It's pretty much always true. But other than that, like there's not always a very clear you did this wrong and therefore you didn't get the grant. I mean sometimes. So the first first answer is nothing. What did you do wrong this time? Potentially nothing. I think it's hard to get a total estimate, but if you take all the grant proposals written in a year and you're like, how many of these got funded? It's like 1% of them probably got funded. Yeah. And that's not because 99% of them have made mistakes. Right. Right. It's just very difficult to get grant funding. It's a very competitive process. Right. I'm a big Star Trek fan. And one of the better Picard quotes is, it's possible to make no mistakes and still lose, not weakness, right? That's life. Um, but they, I think, and I think the most common actual mistake I see, and this is this round, this is a lot of folks were doing this, uh, and that's just funder fit. Okay. You need funding, so you apply to programs. And as you're researching the program, right, you're, you're maybe trying to figure out, like they, you're reading their criteria, and you're reading it through kind of roses colored glasses and making everything fit. And you're like, oh, we're a perfect fit for this, right? And you, you probably should have been more critical during that phase. Yeah. And a lot of programs are being very specific about what they're looking for. 
Right. By the time it gets to me and we're reviewing it for the ones that have been rejected, I say this is most commonly that they've applied to some sort of like well-marketed program. Okay. We get a lot of stuff that like people have applied to Bank of America Foundation. Sure. Sort of bank, uh, some sort of some, some sort of corporate initiative that was heavily marketed. Right. Folks, these folks found out about it. It was open. They were allowed to apply. Right. And and and, and they apply. You can do some basic research here. Look at previous grantees. Sometimes, like they're literally not in the region. Yeah. This has happened. I see this all the time. That like, the proposal is great. They were a perfect fit for it. It's now a mystery why they didn't get funded. I had another group, uh, and this is similar, right? You need to be, you need to have your like, you need to be able, you need to be eligible to apply. Uh, we had a group who did not have their C three apply for grant, and they actually got approved at first, and then during the process, heartbreaking. They had to get the grant taken back, and they were very. The foundation didn't really communicate very well, and and I was the one who had to explain that that was like they can't give you the. Yeah. Yeah. And what people, you know, especially new grant seekers, I find don't seem to understand is those are the criteria that funders are looking at the very, very first pass. They're going to say, you know, no, like, does it or does it meet the criteria? If it does not, it goes in the no pile immediately, potentially. Third rounds, they're going to be shortlisted. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how good those proposals are. They're looking for for reasons why they can cut you. <laughs> and you don't fit. You didn't meet those criteria. It doesn't matter. You can't. There's, there was no amount of passion that, that will convince them. Yeah. Who are in that zip code? Yeah. Right. So fit. Right. No fit. That's a number two reason. Yes. So it can be hard to figure out if you're a good fit or not. Right. Not all of these foundations are very transparent about that stuff. Other times it's pretty easy. You should apply to places where you're where you're convinced that you're a very strong fit. Because they're going to cut most of the folks who apply, most programs. Right. Another one, there's a lot of talk about empathy and emotional intelligence in especially in, in all sectors these days. And I think that's great. I consider myself a somewhat empathetic leader. I like to put myself in other people's shoes yeah. when I make a decision, which can be hard to do. I don't always know what it's like in their shoes. So I think a lot of folks are very empathetic in their leadership, and then they need funding and they just apply and they forget to remember that this is this works humanitarian work, there's human beings involved on both like their competitors are human beings who've written who are just as passionate about what they're doing and are writing and are spending they're taking their proposals very seriously. Right. Uh, and the and you're and the, the, the there's prof, there's probably increasingly there's professionals on the other side reading your proposals. The uh, professional philanthropists. Uh, right. Philanthropic advisors, program officers, people who work at foundations. So this is one of the fastest growing job professions in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. So, and this is going to continue over the next year. It's just going to be very likely that like a professional person whose job it is to choose proposals is there doing it off of a set criteria. And I meet a lot of folks who like they have not none of that crossed their mind through the uh-huh. through the entire <laughs> proposal writing process. Right. Such a good point. I, I totally agree. I meet people and, and it sort of seems like they think they're winging something in and the great Oz is making a you know, decision that there's not really a person behind. Their defense, it's very opaque. Yeah. It doesn't be explained. We don't teach it in school. They don't really know. They need grants. They're, maybe their board told them, told them they have to apply for this grant. They don't, they don't you know. Uh, and, and again, this is a solvable one, um, right? One, try to increasingly, like, <laughs> funders look for volunteer reviewers 
to read proposals. You can also join, you can come to Unfunded List and review proposals. Spend some time reading proposals and being in that, in those shoes. That'll make it easier for you to like look objectively at your own work and think about how someone might respond to what you're writing. Yeah, that's really good. Good advice. Next is unanswered questions. So sometimes the proposal will like ask a question and then clearly they've copied and pasted language. <laughs> yes. Right? Oh my gosh. Because things, but really, really does not answer the question. And it could be great language, but the reader is looking for the answer to the question as they read it. So true. So true. Yes. Other times, so we do, we review grants, which so we review unsubmitted grants uh, from folks. So there's, we, um, we have a small partnership with this fundraising boot camp, right? And everybody mm. who went to the boot camp was encouraged to like write a draft of a proposal. Okay. We gave them the opportunity to have that draft reviewed, right? So they weren't actually answering any specific questions or anything, right? And this was there for all of their first drafts. This was actually really fun to read because everybody knew it was their first draft. Yeah. Right? Uh, and all these folks are very excited to keep working and to um, right, improve their drafts and stuff. Pretty much all of them, like, because it was their first draft, they were, like, missing huge sections of stuff. Oftentimes, like, what's the action? So, like, I remember the, I did a report discussion yesterday. And the group had done an excellent job of, like, explaining who the leadership team was, explaining how much they needed. The budget was, like, very good for a first draft of a grant proposal and the yeah. financial narrative and all that, right? And, in fact, how it would help them, like, sustainability-wise – to make this investment, there was absolutely nothing in the proposal about how it would help people in the community. Ooh, that's a big one, Dave. That's a big one that I'm pretty passionate about. And it, what's, 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 from talking to them, it's clear that it will. It will have a huge impact on folks yeah. in the community. And that's the reason why someone might fund that program. Right. They didn't write it in the. Yep. But the good news is they got that feedback from us and they'll be, they get to read Yes. And I will say this too, and this is my, this is me on my soapbox, but to that point, you know, a lot of RFPs don't even focus on the people served. A lot of RFPs and, and funding opportunity announcements are really focused on the organization. And I always say to organizations, if you're reading your proposal and it sounds like it's written by a narcissist in the form of an organization, cause it's like <laughs> me, 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 then, you know, you're not necessarily doing it right. Focus on the, from, if, if one of your program recipients, if one of your your stakeholders was reading this proposal, would they see themselves in it? And how do they see themselves in it? I feel like that's a, um, it's, it's like not just, it, it's, it's our duty as, as grant writers to do that because I think that's part of elevating the voices of those served, even if that funding opportunity announcement is not asking that specific question. Uh, so I occasionally get proposals that are written on behalf of an organization, but written in the first person. Yeah. Right. So the organization is the founder. Yes. You get very confused. You're reading, you're le you think you're like reading it from an organization's point of view. And then it's like, when I went to college. <laughs> and, uh, Wait, who are we? Who is? Who? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. Just there. So it's right. very, very lonely existence writing grants for an organization you're trying to start or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I try to deliver I, one of, a piece of advice I try to give folks. If you are the founder of an organization. Try to use the royal we. Try to use we and us pronouns yeah. like all the time. Yeah. When you're talking about the organ. Even if it's even if you know that you're the only person involved in what you're talking about, yeah. Like it'll it'll sound 
more like more of a thing. Right. <laughs> and you'll sound less like self-centered. Right. Um, I, so that's what I got from, I should give credit to Scott Beal from Atlas Core. When I first started working at Atlas Core, I used to say I a lot. And he told me, he's like, you'll, you'll sound cooler if you say we. And I, he's right. I started doing it and I got much better. That's great. Got much better. And it's just, it sounds like you're part of an organization. Right. My last one is that uh, we read a lot of pie in the sky proposals. Okay. Like the organization might be good. They're doing good work. Right. But like, this is a generally all kinds of different kinds of unrealistic requests. Uh, most commonly, like the organization is very new. They've never really done anything. Yeah. And they're asking for funding for like full six figure salaries for right. a full of people. They're trying to, to go to- from zero to 60 like this. Yeah. yeah. I see that a lot with folks who come from another sector. Okay. And are putting, and they've learned like, they, there are, it was a group of music executives who tried to form a nonprofit and they put a proposal together and they were like, we can, once we are fully funded, they were thinking about this fully from a like startup standpoint, right. trying to raise philanthropic dollars. They like wanted to raise like several million. Yeah. And there's like, once we've raised that, then we can hire the staff. Right. And they were like going to pay everybody salaries comparable to their salaries as music executives. Right. Right. And we will begin work, right? Then phase two is when we begin work. And I was like, this is just not how we play baseball. So what do you recommend <laughs> instead? You need, unfortunately, you need I, – so one thing I talk about a lot in the report discussions, and I'll admit this is a little vague and not necessarily helpful for everybody, but if you want to get a social change organization off the ground, right? So we're talking about that you're going to change society with this organization. It's not just a business that's going to make money. Yeah. You're going to change society with this thing, right? One, you should plan. Probably you're going to fail. That's difficult to do. And most people who try to change society don't succeed in changing. The number of people who have actually been able to do that are very slim. Society likes being how it is. (laughs) That and how it is, it takes quite a bit of an intervention to make a change there, right? And... Yeah, it's happened where folks have just sort of been given a lot of money in the beginning or were born into it or something like that and able to like create an organization because they had access to tremendous resources from the start. That's something that's happened. If that's going to happen to you, you probably know already. Yeah. (laughs) But most other folks are going to have to find some way to cheat in the beginning. Right. Like I said, society likes being how it is. So they're not going to just let you change it. You're going to have to bend the normal rules. Yeah. Right. And one way to bend the normal rules is to be born rich. Like that's, that is actually a, like, it's a, it's a, it's a glitch in the matrix that <laughs> could allow someone to like do things that were not, that society doesn't intend. Right. Young people don't have any money. They're supposed to go into the workforce and work first. Right. And, and contribute to society in the way that it already is. Right. And, and turn the wheel of capitalism over and over and over again. Which is fine. Lots of good stuff actually happens from that. Capitalism has lifted a lot of people out of poverty and advanced society in many ways. There's a bunch of stuff it can't do, though. And um, philanthropy can do some of those things. We can take the excess wealth created by philanthropy and fund programs. And we don't, that's a new, very new concept. There's only been excess wealth. There were some isolated examples of excess wealth throughout history. Yeah. About 200 years ago, like right. it really, it didn't really exist. Right. Even people who had it 
They needed to build castles and have standing armies to protect their wealth. Right. So today, Bill Gates doesn't need to do that. He can give it away in large amounts, which is very new. It's newer than, and I like to point this out, organized philanthropy is newer than a lot of other fields. It's younger than education. It's younger than democracy. It's younger than psychiatry. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's younger than a lot of things. And it's operated without accountability and all that time. <laughs> so it, it doesn't always have incentive to improve is my point there. Right. And so is it, they're, they, they, they're, they're making decisions in, in the ways that they're making them. <laughs> and they're generally trying to get better all of the time. And so you really need to know as much as you possibly can before, before submitting. Yeah. So instead of going for that pie in the sky, though, <clears throat> do you have a recommendation? Is it, is it starting incremental, you know, building plans for horizon one, horizon two for the growth of your organization? Or how, what are you advising in those report when, when you come across a proposal that has gone, attempted to go from zero to 100? Um, what, what advice are you giving them? So, I mean, well, in general, if it's a, if you're submitting a, a grant proposal to organize philanthropy to fund change work, you'll have to have some sort of track record. Okay. There's exceptions to that. Yep. Like, like I said, this is why I say you need to find some sort of way to cheat. You need to find some sort of way to like prove you're a useful actor. Yeah. Like, or anyone gives you resources. Yeah. Either you work for a while, save up some money, or like you have like so. So one of the ways I cheated for a funded list is like I said, I my I have very good networking skills, uh -huh. especially when I was younger and prettier. <laughs> and I, like I said that's there's I think there's no default. There's no template. There's no like default. For how you for how you like you know change society or how you solve a social problem. Hopefully, you are personally affected by that problem, intimately familiar with it, and you know how to help. And if you do that, and then start helping, and if you do that, and if you then and then be able to tell the story of how you're helping. And and if that's all, if if you did all that, you'll probably find funders for it. So we've talked about a lot. Just to recap, the mistakes that you mentioned, the, the quote-unquote mistakes that um, grantees are making. Number one, they're not necessarily making any mistakes, right? No mistakes. Number two, the fit with the funder. That's so key, right? Identifying the alignment with what that funder is interested alignment. in. Love yes. that word, right? The alignment is good. Um, number three, the grant seekers didn't put themselves in the shoes of either their funder or their competitor. And I actually love that you say they're competitors, because I always think about putting yourself in the shoes of your funder when you're writing a proposal, thinking about them reading it, thinking about what, what universe, what ecosystem that funder is concerned with and how you address that. But I love thinking about putting yourselves in the shoes of your competitor, who is also a human being trying to change the world, right? Probably. I, yeah, most likely. Or who told chat GPT to write something. Okay, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> we, could, we could go on and on. Um, number four, the unanswered questions in the proposals. And I love this from two perspectives. One, that uh, they didn't actually answer the question that the funder asked. Yes, I see that too. But two, that the proposal itself, the narrative itself, actually raises additional questions that they've never answered, which I've found definitely when I've read and reviewed proposals. 
Um, and then five pie in the sky requests. You know, I've seen it too. I'd see maybe more so from, like you said, the sector changers or the uh, new grant seekers of whatever type. Um, and and I love I love your advice there too. You know, um, so thank you again for this so much. And now before we go, if people want to get involved in the unfunded list learning community, what do they do? Everyone listening should be involved. If you listened this whole episode and you got to this part, then you're probably a great fit for the unfunded list learning community. We do stuff with grants and philanthropy all the time. The two main things you can do with us is submit a proposal and join the committee to review those proposals. I encourage folks to do both things. So you can, uh, this fall, we're going to be reviewing again. September 15th will be our deadline. You submit a proposal online and we will review it. Uh, Right there on our website, you can also join the committee. Tell us what kind of things you'd like to read, a little bit about yourself. And then this fall, after all the proposals are in, I will assign some to you. I will not assign your own proposal to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, Dave, it's been such a pleasure. And I don't want to keep you from your golf game. But thank you so much for making your first podcast appearance that's not your own podcast on the Great Grand Seeking Podcast. I'm honored. I want to thank our listeners, too, for listening to today's episode. And if today's conversation inspired you to change something up about your grant seeking, then please follow this podcast because you will hear more discussions like this one from experts like Dave who are excelling in our field. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow and share it with your friends and colleagues and leave a rating and review. So we'll see you next time and happy grant seeking.